All right, Wayne. How's it going? It's going really good, Ed, because in the time... This is an anomaly, because usually in the time between us talking, United have lost a game. Yeah. And we haven't, and we haven't played, so... We haven't lost one. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. That is a full glass right there. Yeah. That is that is optimistic. Yeah, There's been other disastrous stuff on the United front, though, including <laughs> the financials. I think we can talk about that a little bit. And then there's the international break. I, I touch wood. I'm touching my head here because, you know, United haven't come back with too many serious injuries after the international break. I mean, I'm not sure if Marcus Rashford or Anthony Martial are fit, but they weren't fit before the international break. So apart Mm. from that, I don't think there's been anything too serious coming out of that break. I I read earlier that Maguire might be out for a couple of weeks, which, yeah, he might not be serious in terms of first-team action. I, for... This is going to be a little bit controversial. I've been his biggest critic. Yeah, I know. I'm going straight in from the off with this one, Ed. Right. I'm not going to say I'm warming to him, but I don't know. The, the criticisms have gone a bit too far now. I, I think, yeah, like, I agree. It's, it's a point where, and we've had this point with many players over the last few years when if that player's not good enough, you spend a period of time criticizing that player. And then you criticise the manager for still selecting that player and then the player's not in the side and then they're still getting abuse. And I just think there's no shame in not being good enough. The the biggest crime apparently committed by Harry Maguire is that he doesn't seem to realise that he's one of the players who've been below below the Mm -hmm. the form. He he sort of defended himself at at various points and, and his relatives have done that as well, which... All right, that's a bit difficult for some people to to handle. I still I feel uneasy with the constant barraging of him because all right, it's, I just it's the kicking yeah. him when he's down kind of thing that I, I really don't get on, on board with. Yeah, well, all right, so it is the, personal as well, isn't it? Very personal right. when it yeah. goes from abusing him when he's posting something about i don't know some charity work he's doing when he goes to that it's gone too far i think it's perfectly fine to go he's not particularly good I, i'm pretty sure i said i didn't think he was good enough when he joined and i didn't think he was good enough when he was supposedly supposedly playing well i definitely didn't think he was good enough when he was playing poorly but to go further and like I mean, it's all online, isn't it? But just yeah, the abuse has got personal, and it's too much. And well, he obviously got he got some stick from the England crowd as well. That's what I was going to say. Some of it was a like in the first international that when they played away, that by all accounts the reception was really warm for him. And then when he gets back home at Wembley, they're on his back. And look, yeah, a lot of it, most of it is online, and a lot of but a lot of the United fans are still joining in with it. And I don't understand this because if at some point. He's called upon to play, which is quite likely because Varane's fitness concerns are there, and you yeah. never know. And Maguire's one thing that he certainly is is durable, so he'll be called upon at some point to play a game. What's the point in getting a player in whose confidence is at rock bottom? Because they can push him, push him to that level, and we've seen what Maguire with his confidence at rock bottom looks like. It's not good. Sure. We've seen what Maguire with his confidence and form in a good place looks like and that's been a good asset for the team so yeah. if i mean just uh, the point what i'm trying to make is even if you don't like him there's no there's no positive side to criticizing him anymore and well, I, it, I think there's a difference between something that's analytical 
Maguire is too passive and needs to drop deep. He's too slow. His progression, his ball progression is good, but not great. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that's perfectly fine. Right. And you can analyze whether he's quite good enough to take United to where we want him to go, given his price and all like that. And to, to what generally happens on social media is your crap, drive him out of the club. Don't want him here anymore. Bin him off. Family abuse, all of that kind of stuff. It, <laughs> Just, yeah. Do you know, I'm going to say this is going to... I, I started off, I said that it was going to be controversial. So I think people say, oh, you're defending Aaron Maguire. That's controversial. This this one, Ed, you're going to like this one. A lot of people like sort of said, oh, he's going to be like the next... When he first signed, obviously, oh, will he be the next Stan? Will he be the next Vidic? And I remember saying, at the time, I was kind of like, oh... Someone likened him. I remember reading it. He was likened to Steve Bruce. But it was like, oh, he's he's a better... He's a better version of Steve Bruce. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're saying that you didn't watch Steve Bruce play, yeah, all right. Steve Bruce was, <laughs> he, he was not, he was not the most finesse of centre backs, but he was, he was a damn good centre back. And, and, and Mc... incredibly consistent. Yeah. I, yeah. I once got a, an absolute pylon of abuse for a, for a daring to suggest that Steve Bruce wasn't quite good enough yeah. <laughs> that good an ugly an ugly poorly phrased tweet and i deserved the abuse on that occasion <laughs> no but I, I no obviously it's an opinion it, all all of this is about opinions which is why we're having this conversation but obviously if Maguire went on to have half the career at old trafford that bruce yeah, well, would have, yeah. then yeah. then he could consider it a, a massive turnaround from where he currently is what the controversial point is what i was going to make Maguire. Is like Mal Donaghy, but Mal didn't oh, cost wow. £80 million. Pound. No, what, yes. what I mean is he, he's a stepping stone player. Like you've just mentioned, he's a stepping yeah. stone player to stabilise, he's durable, he's dependable. He can take United to a certain level, not by himself, but as part of a collective. He can be part of that. And then the time will come that he has to step aside for, for someone else to, to mm. help United. And, and look, look, Maguire did a job. We finished second. We're finishing the top four. He he moved us forward in that regard, and and that's like Mal. Do you know? There's no shame in being that. But Mal didn't cost <laughs> eighty Mal million. Mal came from Luton for how much? Was he a freebie or some, was there some money? I, I, I think remember. it was a low. It was a low fee. Yeah. But he but he wasn't a bad player. He wasn't yeah. a bad player, Mal. So and and he did his job, and then it was time to move on. A bit like yeah. I'm saying that he didn't come with that price tag and the expectation. So Maguire's Maguire's not at fault for that massive fee at all absolutely he's, not you know yeah. he's got to take care of his own performances of course but he's not at fault for the massive fee that's united's stupidity in the market and the club has demonstrated that again and again and again and again and we've had that conversation many many times about just how poor united have been in the market and how much they keep paying and they finally restructured the club in order to be smarter and then they were off spending an absolute fortune on a nearly 31 year old and 100 million on a kind of unproven Brazilian. So are we smart in the market? Time will see on that one whether those two players really provide value or not because that, that's that's the context, right? If United get back into the Champions League and Casemiro and Anthony play a role in making that happen, then the fees don't kind of don't matter as much if United are moving forward and doing well and progressing and being a better team then then that's all good and and if they don't then they'll get criticism just as Harry Maguire has done and I, I don't know whether they'll be sort of lightning rods for the criticism in quite the way that Maguire has been or not yeah um 
you know, the the factors all come together. Maguire being high profile, expensive, playing for Manchester United, and sometimes seeing feeling like he's not he's not quite seeing which way the wind is blowing and not not working out uh, mm. that he has to take some responsibility and that he hasn't always helped himself but then again when he comes out and says oh we're gonna look at ourselves we're gonna bounce back really sorry social media posts etc and so on he's he's getting pelters as well so yeah. just goes to show the the only way you can win is by performing well and winning games which by the Something way like that. we should mention then luke Shaw did well for England and scored yeah, a goal. Did, so played all right. Yep. Yep. So yeah, the risk of sounding like a mega hypocrite. Maguire needed to take a, a couple of weeks off and reassess. <laughs> Luke Shaw clearly needed a game to prove yeah. that he's he's got a role. Tyrone Malassia, who's rightly moved ahead of Shaw in the pecking order, played in a back three for Holland. Van Hal doing some absolute Van Hal ball there. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine he's about four foot two, isn't he? Tyrone oh, no. Malassia. <laughs> Has he got a good spring on him? I'm not sure. Yeah, well, you can imagine the criticism that Martin has got. Imagine if you had Malassia moonlighting in that position. (laughs) Oh, God. I I would like to live to see the day Martinez and Malassia playing in a back two together. That would be difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, just just for the for the criticism to see Carragher's head explode. Not not literally, figuratively. No, no, also (laughs) literally would be no, no. Make a terrible mess, and who'd have to clean that up? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Gary Neville, probably. That's what he does with his punditry. Oh, that's a nice one. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I, I didn't see the Holland game, so I don't know how Malassia did. I, I'm going to presume he put in a 10 out of 10. <laughs> no one's no one's come back and criticised it so far. But he's definitely... He's right, obviously... Apparently he did very well, yeah. I mean, I saw okay. some of the goals. They scored an absolute total football goal. Yeah, uh, I saw that which, one, yeah. Uh, yeah, that went around social media. Beautiful. Didn't do that very often. And maybe in those three games when United did well over that sort of Christmas period, mm, that one yeah. time under Van Gaal, but there wasn't much of that otherwise. They, they didn't. That I can remember. They'd never played. Do you, but do you know, now you've said that, I, I was looking this up fairly recently. Fairly recently, Ed. I was looking this up to to try and calculate the... I was actually looking at Paul Scholes' goal against Panathinaikos. So what was the record number of passes for United? Right. And I think... The top two were under Van Gaal. It's one that Mata scored at Southampton, and then there was another one. I, I can't. The, the the player on the game escapes me, but I think the top two were both Van Gaal, and I can remember that one Mata goal. And yeah, mm, I don't think it was total <laughs> football in the way that Johan Cruyff envisaged. That total well, well, the, football thing, be- the thing with Van Gaal is that he didn't actually like his team to score goals because that means a loss of possession. Yeah, exactly. You have to give you the know. ball back to the other side, don't you? <laughs> yeah, which probably makes the Sheffield United game when we scored the goal in the last minute with Rooney at the penalty, which is, I don't know, maybe the worst FA Cup tie that most people can remember in living memory, even worse than some of the defeats that we've had. Probably makes that his perfect performance because we probably had 99% of the ball in that game. And oh, yeah, yeah we can say again, that <laughs> was not total didn't football. Didn't the goal too much, yeah. No. Well, I, I, I can't remember anything else coming out of the international break that's worth a note, really. England were sort of all right, not really. They're not going into the World Cup with any kind of form at all, and it doesn't look like Rashford or Sancho are going to go, even though they've been on form. But Shaw and Maguire will do, even though they haven't. Go figure, Scarra Southgate. Mm. Uh, they'll go out to the first team that can control a football match, I imagine. And they're relegated to Group B, Division B, or whatever of the Europa 
conference, nations, league, something. What's it called? What, what does Who this cares? mean? Yeah, it, no, but what does it mean? What does the relegation mean? I don't understand this. I, I gathered it was part of the qualification for the Euros, right? Yeah, there's a pathway for the Euros. It doesn't mean you definitely qualify, but you get an easier pathway or an extra chance, I think it is, with the playoffs. They keep changing the format, so it's really hard to keep up with it. It, it's, it just might mean that for the next Euros, England get a tougher qualification group. But the, pat- the pattern is that England qualify by winning 10 games out of 10 and then... Uh, well, historically been crap in the tournaments. Obviously, the last two have done all right. Anyway, yeah. I, yeah. I think that's enough about international football. Financials. Like we said, we mm-hmm. there's some disaster has happened. I mean, I'm really shocked by the financials, but they were really bad. And they point to, point to some really big decisions that have to be made at the club coming up on the finances. So the basic raw numbers, this is a 22 full-year financials, were a £150 million loss and something like £180 million owed in transfers and mm. over £500 million in debt. That's actually not right because if you look at the FX moves since the, the mini budget was well-received by the markets, the FX move means there's about another £80 million stuck on that because United's debt's denominated in dollars and obviously income is received in pounds. Not quite sure of United's hedging position on any of that, so maybe some cash is held in dollars to balance some of that out, but it's not good basically mm. and and then a revolving credit line was used to fund transfers this window basically it whipped out the credit card probably not with a very good interest rate and and spent some money it's it's a gamble and it's not that far off. i mean we all laughed at barcelona like well, yeah, spending I, I was, future yeah. revenues but it's not that different at united no I, this one thing that i was saying over the summer is that you have to be careful what you wish for and everyone was wanting the shiny new things when we started the season disastrously and they were all sort of saying that just throw the money at it but first of all we didn't have the money so where was it going to come from and I think that was a question that we were we probably had this discussion a couple of times as well on, on this podcast where we're saying we've got to wait and see where that money's come from a lot of people were hopefully hopefully putting it on like a mysterious investor and I'm like oh that I think that much would have been pretty public knowledge if, if it had worked out that way so it's been revealed. They've obviously they've they've borrowed it. It's against future transfer windows, so it's obviously going to have an impact on things moving forward. The need, yeah, was probably urgent for, for the players. It was urgent. It comes back to what you said earlier. Have we overspent for Casemiro? Have we overspent on Anthony? Possibly They're all tied together. Yeah, yeah. So but then that's the thing. That's the dice that we've rolled. And obviously it. It's a catastrophic year for United. It's one of the worst years in the history of the club. So the turmoil that you've got of sacking, well, one manager, the Rangnick experiment and how costly that's been, the uh, on and off the pitch, how, how costly that's been, the, the loss of players and the need to sort of re-energise the squad and everything like that. Obviously, it was going to come at a massive, a massive cost, a massive expense. So the details would have been surprising or might have been eye-opening and then you more certainly more than me you've got a a closer sort of knowledge of what all these numbers mean and everything like that so if you're saying that you're surprised by some of the finer details I think we're still both on the same page knowing that it wasn't going to make pleasant reading that United had 
massively speculated, and that was the risk that they were going to take. And that, and, yeah. and we we could have. It didn't need. It doesn't need hindsight to say, "Oh, that's going to be a gamble," and they could be in a similar to position to Barcelona if these kind of things work out because it was obvious that much was obvious eight weeks ago that the United weren't in a position where they could lavishly spend the amount of money which was necessary in order to get the, the, the team competing one thing I mean you can't change those numbers we we can't as fans we just look at it and say oh they, they don't make great reading just to be optimistic about it what we have seen is in football there's a, a team and a manager right that's effectively uh-huh. what we're interested in as fans and a good manager can make a world of difference it, it can it can not in terms of like initially changing the numbers but a long-term structure a, long, a long-term sort of balance and sensibility in there can make okay, a massive difference yeah exactly so yeah. and th- what i'm trying to say is for the First couple of weeks, we're all a little bit concerned with Ten Hag, but I think you can forgive him a couple of early weeks because he's 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 finding his way into the job. He's learning about the Premier League on the job. So to see how good his his squad selection and his man management and his his capability of handling the spotlight so far has been, it bodes well in terms of obviously it's kind of traumatic in the short term but it is yeah it, it feels like it's kind of like a bookend of i'm not i'm not saying yeah, it yeah. stops or anything but what i mean is like we all expected it to be bad and it, yeah. we can say it's like the bad the the sort of not the end because we know it's going to continue but it feels like all right that's closing off a, a significantly poor chapter we know it's going to yes. be difficult moving forward but we can at least forecast improvement if if we're being yeah, optimistic and, and, and about United it. are really going to need it as well for, for t- the Ten Hag thing to work out. Otherwise, I, I just I really can't. There's a, so bad scenarios. I'm, I'm mm. not talking about the club melting down and liquidating or anything like that, but but significant and long term pain for the club if it doesn't work out with Ten Hag, because yeah. the although the the revenue and cost side of things almost balances out if United are in the Europa League versus the Champions League, the potential for growth just isn't there if United are in the Europa League. Mm. Sponsorship, commercial, TV revenues, there's a cap on all of that. And we will see, probably this year, we'll see City have already surpassed us financially. We'll probably see Liverpool go past United and Spurs and Arsenal are a little way behind, but growing in a way that United are not. Yeah. So we, we could see United slip down to... Third this season, well, Chelsea too, sorry, third or fourth in financially in the Premier League this season and maybe even further behind. And that's not even taking into account the big clubs in Europe. So for many years, United were number one financially in the world, rolling back quite substantially now. And so we need Ten Hag to work out in order for the club to be able to move forward. But they're all tied together. Yeah. You know, the reason why United's financials are so desperate is, one, the impact of covid but to poor financial management at the club. You know, yeah. Rank poor financial management and, and spending on assets that weren't worth the value. And that's when we talk about Harry Maguire at 80 million or, or near 100 million or Casemiro at 70 million. That's why it matters. So, uh, because there but, is only a finite budget and you can only spend it on so much. Um, for sure. And, and the United's commercials haven't grown in years. I don't know what the numbers are, how much exactly is owed on the Casemiro and Antony. But let's say 150 million, right? Yeah. 
obviously spread out over a few years. But... Yeah, of course. Now, the alternative to that, as we all know, was Rabio and Arnautovic. Was it Arnautovic who was <laughs> oh, settling God, yeah. no, no, but it's what they I'm, played I'm that saying. One for a day, didn't they? So, can you imagine? Like, let's say, like, let's say for the sake of argument, forty million, fifty million on those two, as opposed to hundred and fifty million on on a, a genuine world class midfielder and sure. a, a very promising, very promising star in internet with yeah. potential yeah. for resale value and everything like that. It's like, but, but that's why when I said it's almost like the Barcelona gamble, yeah, I mean, it's not actually mortgaging the future quite in the same way, but it's putting an FFP position and a cash position for United that is looks precarious in the future to gamble on quality. So yeah, and yeah. Ten Hag must have demanded it because I suspect the Glazers were well. He said it himself. The budget changed. No, yeah, and, and this is a, this is the thing. Like, you can pull it right back to the the very basic principle of everything in football. Every signing is a gamble, right? That's the very basic principle. So, and any signing could could not work out. But then it's like, is that investment worth it for? the projection of what we needed in the short term for what it might provide for the next two or three years. And obviously that answer is only going to be something that we can tell in two or three years. It's a, it's a much bigger gamble, obviously, in, in terms of finance. Is it a much bigger gamble in terms of quality? In essence, every signing is a gamble, but you'd much yep. rather take that risk. It's like the the... Falcao signing in a way, you know, we got him on loan, and at least it was worth having because he didn't really. I know there's a lot of money on wages, but you wanted to take that risk because if he could have been as good as as he was pre-injury, then we had a, a, a proper player on our hands. So yeah, it didn't work out, but it was a gamble you can understand that we took. Now you can understand why we've taken the opportunity to sign better players, even though it's cost us more money and. Like I say, hindsight's going to be a wonderful thing, isn't it? Hopefully it will be a wonderful thing because yeah. it's, it's a very difficult time. And it's funny because they, I guess you and I would look at it a little bit sceptical, with a little bit of cynicism. And really these two signings represent a lot of hope, don't they? For, for a lot of people, these are the signings that represent hope. And for and there's nothing there's, wrong with that. It's yeah. just, if it doesn't if it doesn't work out, United will be well, depending on how much was paid down this year, two hundred sixty, seventy, eighty million in transfers owed by the time we look at the financials this time next year. Maybe I mean yeah. it's going to be a lot anyway, yeah. and a debt position which is worse than when the there were the first green and gold protests in two thousand and ten, and and approaching what the debt was when the club was taken over. Yeah. So it's yeah. Anyway, financials, doom and gloom. There's football to come. We're going to feel good about the football on Sunday. <laughs> How do we stop Erling Haaland from scoring? We started this podcast so optimistically, and it's just yeah, gone yeah. absolutely downhill. I, I can't. I I look at him, Ivan Drago in footballer form, and <laughs> I they, there'll be no Rocky stopping him. I'm telling you. Although the Rocky. Size comparison might work, might well work for Martinez, but he's probably going to need to knock him out to stop him. And I don't see it happening because he's too good. The service is too good to him at the moment. He's got yeah. that really top. The, the one thing he, his finishing range is incredible. Everyone's seen that over the years. We we 
can see how remarkable this thing he, he did against Dortmund was no surprise. But I think what has surprised me is is the ability to find space, which is easier in the Austrian league, slightly easier in the German league than it is in the Premier League. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, but in the Premier League to see the way that he's there all the time to finish the move is is really it's impeccable. I've never seen anything like it. And the way it fit into the city system, which was the thing that yeah. that people were doubting, could he? But actually, I think he's so good, he's forced City to play differently. They're playing more through balls. Yeah, they, and more, more crosses. space than they used to, and more crosses, yeah. yeah. Things that he needs rather than always into feet. Yeah. And we, you can criticise Pep for being too focused on his philosophy, much in the same way Van Gaal was, but he's proven himself to be more flexible with his signing. Yeah. And, I mean, just Haaland's so good that City would be mad to force it into being a tippy-tappy thing all of the time and, and Haaland only scoring goals on the six-yard line. So, But, yeah. but he couldn't do that. I mean, he's way of finishing. The one that he scored against Wolves from 25 yards, it's like a daisy cutter. And the goalkeeper yeah. had no chance with it, but that's what he's capable of. He can score within 30 yards and make it look like a tap-in. I haven't, yeah. honestly, I don't want to spend too long like hyping up a City player, but I haven't seen a striker like him. I, I, there's the original Ronaldo, who I absolutely loved. But he's like, yeah. if Ibrahimovic, he's like Ibrahimovic times two. He's like, you know what I mean? I, I don't know yeah. if that's a, a really good description of him, but he's like the goal return that you didn't always see from Ibrahimovic, the, the sort of predatory instincts, because Zlatan likes to play on the periphery. He likes to join in and be a little bit flamboyant. There's a little bit more of a killer inside Ireland. And honestly, I, I think already... I think he's obviously going to break records this season. I don't know what yeah. and how many, but there's going to be multiple records broken by him. And I reckon, just on this observation of the last sort of two two years, but certainly how he's fit into this city side, I think he'll go down as the best striker the Premier League's ever had. I'm I'm quite confident in making that as as long as he stays there for like yeah. say five or six years. Because yeah, we we just need Roy Keane's son to get himself in the first team and do Alfie. Junior. Oh, well, I... and Junior. I, I'm not suggesting I, that. By the way, it's a joke, folks. Sort yeah. of. And, almost. and it didn't happen that way. As much as Alf Inger Hall no, likes to think it was the, it was the other knee. And I I was watching something from... Uh, it was I think United actually posted the clip. It was David Beckham scoring the free kick at Main Road. And it was Holland who brought him down. It was quite a ruthless foul, actually. It was quite nasty. And I think Holland had... It come in for him for, from Keane for two reasons that one <laughs> and also the thing that happened at Ellen Road. But uh, yeah, yeah he, he's brilliant. And, and City are playing great football as well. I know that they've dropped points, and this is a this is a test for Ten Hag. Obviously, first of all, does he have the players? We don't know. But Oli got results against them. Obviously, not with Ireland in the team, but he, he got good results yeah. against them. We Play look a little way, bit, better. but we know yeah. Ten Hag's flexible. So. Yeah. Exactly, you know, he played a progressive way against Liverpool. It wasn't like we were back to the wall. We were very much deserving of that two-goal either. The reputation that we've somehow picked up of playing counter-attacking football against Arsenal is a bit misleading, considering the fact that two of the goals were played in with fantastic football. So yep. the, we, we just don't know. I, I think this is the thing, in early this early on, so we're only a couple of months into his reign, I'm not saying I'll give him a pass if we get bad. 5-0 or something like that. But I'm 
I'm going to be less critical of him than I would be if it was like six months into the job because he's still finding his way. It's his first encounter with this Manchester City team. It's going to be his first encounter against a team that's this good. What what is he going to do? What's his what is he going to be bold? Is he going to go for it? If he's going to be pragmatic, how long can that kind of pragmatic system hold out for? Because I mean, remember Van Gaal. Van Gaal he did play a lot of pragmatic systems, but they were generally pretty good when he did it. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. terrible to watch, but he had a purpose and he, he sometimes succeeded. So, well, regularly succeeded. I think he he might... Did he win all the games against Liverpool? I think he might have won them all. He certainly didn't lose against them. Yeah. He won some against Arsenal. Do you know, he, didn't, he had good results against City as well. So, it, it's intriguing is what I'm trying to say. Rather than me going into it thinking I'm just going to lambast him if we don't win, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what, what he's going to do because it's all part of the learning I, I, process. Yeah, what's he going to come, with, come up with? What does it look like? It will certainly be... United certainly won't have much of the ball. I mean, it's just the way City play against everyone. So imagine we have 40% of the ball or something like that. So necessarily we'll be doing a lot of defending. Some of it will, and and like some of it be quite deep. Will United take the risk to play a little higher, given that Haaland is so quick going behind, in order to compress the play and create create chances for the transition? It's very hard to transition out of a really deep line defence, 100 yards. Yeah, it's very hard. It just doesn't happen very often. That's why City, it is a risk for them, but it just doesn't happen that often. So United will have to take the risk to play a little higher up if they want to create those chances. Did it against Arsenal. Definitely didn't play uber defensive. Played in a certain certain way, pragmatic fashion. But will they do it against City at the Etihad? You know, big, big test for Van Gaal, isn't it? Really big test. A completely different challenge to Arsenal Liverpool games but one he, he passed those challenges he's shown himself to be very pragmatic at times trying to pick the right balance the team for the right game most of the time yeah and it was one experiment wasn't there and and the yeah a lot of things are going to have to go right obviously for any fit hopefully touch wood and Martinez are going to have to play really well against Haaland that's obvious Martinez obviously famously had that game where Ajax beat Dortmund although I think if you look back on that one Haaland missed three really good chances in that game so you know the narrative might have been somewhat different if he hadn't had an off day yeah. He hasn't had many off days this season. And even when not playing well, he comes up with something ridiculous. Like the goal in the Champions League. How do you account for some guy being able to kung fu kick a ball in from like eight feet in the air? I mean, you just can't. Mm. Or hitting it really early from 25 yards against Wolves. Or being in the right place at the right time for Jack Grealish to create a goal as yeah. he did in the game before that. So it's that's why it's so difficult. There's so many routes for him to get to goal. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I haven't got a prediction. I think I think I have a sense of how the game will play, and I, I think it's just those questions about how many risks United are willing to take in order to cause City enough problems that it's not solely a training exercise of attacking against defence. Yeah, it's a it's a really big game for Dallo and Malassia. Less so yeah. Malassia, but a big one because obviously Dallo's coming in on a real high. This yeah, is where he scored it, twice for Portugal, didn't he? Yeah, he's got it. This is the best moment that he's had at United, the best spell of his career. So now what he needs to do is not get carried away. He's a player who does get carried away. So if he can remain disciplined, um, and and to be fair, I've seen that from him against Arsenal, against Liverpool in particular. There was all the high-fiving and stuff in defence and they were 
they were really sort of buzzing as a unit and you want to see that and obviously I know it's a it's a dead end of a, a point to make to say that you want the defense to play well but you kind of it's really important considering the the scarcity of options we've obviously got options there but scarcity of quality in the back of that that right. defense has started so well you don't want to see him have a massive confidence knock because you, you've seen what happens to a couple of these players when they get it Rand suddenly starts getting a lot of niggles that keep him out and Dello can be up and down and it's such a crucial game for them in terms of imagine what the boost would be keeping a clean sheet against Ireland imagine what a boost it would yeah. be for those oh, it's, it's massive it, yeah so I take as much high-fiving and fist bumping and whooping and whatever <laughs> they get a clean sheet they can do that all day long well um, what do you reckon about the midfield because Casemiro he doesn't look, he's been playing for Brazil it's going to be a long journey back for him it doesn't. I wouldn't presume that he's going to play. So no, I wouldn't presume in. it. But I mean, if he doesn't play in this one and didn't play in the Arsenal game and didn't play in only played in one of the Europa games and so on, then he, he needs he needs to start at some point, doesn't it? I mean, well, we, could could we see midfield three? Given that Rashford Martial might be out, would we see Casemiro, McTominay, and Eriksson ahead of it? Fernando? Would he push? No, no, no. We, we're not going to see all of those. It's. I know uh, he he definitely wants Ericsson in the middle there to get some semblance of control because Fred Casemiro and McTominay don't necessarily give you that. Casemiro's economical with the ball, so I think I think he's yeah. he's more sensible with the ball than Fred and McTominay for sure. So I, yeah, it's a good question. Will Casemiro start? It feels like the kind of game, the kind of atmosphere that you want that kind of experience. That's why he pays the big bucks for him. He's got a few more minutes with Brazil. Obviously, a long trip and even flying. First class it is draining time zones and yeah. time on a plane for sure. I think so. when when I've seen him in the Europa games, he still looks like a player trying to find his he does. his his sort of space. Where am I playing? It was going to be around me, and I think you can say this for every single game, really, can't you? And at some point, he's got to be like I said, he's got to start at some point. I just think against City, whose midfield is so fluent and the rhythm is so perfect. If you start, United's rhythm needs to be as close to that as it can possibly be. And you can achieve that somewhat with Ericsson. He's naturally found his way in. I, I'm i not calling Casemiro clunky player, but I think if you put him in, it could become a clunky midfield and United don't. Mm. Just at this moment in time when they're all trying to figure each other out. And I, I think in a way... <sighs> McTominay's had good games against them before. His confidence is high. He knows where he's supposed to be in this system, which is, has been a, a massive reason for why he's improved so much. And I just think that maybe this is the game that you sort of give him, all right, you've earned this one, you've you've played well so far, you've earned this big test and we'll see how it goes. And if it doesn't go well, then Casemiro can come in and you make that transition at that point. Maybe this is this is the enough rope game, do you know what I mean? And mm. you, you, you still want him to do well, don't get me wrong, but I just think... It's going to be interesting to see the way that he does it because I'm theoretically Casemiro has excelled in these kind of games in the past. This is the kind of game where he does excel, but I just think he's, he came to the club so late in the transfer window. He's still finding his feet, and I just think yeah, yeah it, might, it might be a good thing to put him on the team sheet, but it might cause more harm than good considering what we're trying to achieve in the game. Right. I mean, it's it's perfectly fair analysis. 
and Scott McTominay's really put hasn't put a foot wrong in the last few weeks and 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 his place in the side and and has earned a start in this game but it doesn't always work like that in football so we'll see when I mean they've had a few days so he's had a few days back Casemiro uh, we'll see I, I'm more intrigued about like what the makeup is is it did they go do a three or are they happy with a two in midfield there given the options further forward he could like not play, say, Alanga? Uh, because what what are the options? Right? Ronaldo's going to start if there's no Martial or Rashford. Anthony's going to start. Who's the third one? I'd be. Is, it better, is it better to play a, an extra midfielder than that than that third I, forward? I, I think you'll see Sancho or Rashford come right. through. Yeah. I, don't, I, I, I really can't see Ronaldo playing in this game because he, he was lost in the games against City last season. Is is below form at the moment. Portugal as well got punched in the face as well, which was very sad to see him all bloodied and on the ground. What? Yeah, the, you people can't see your rice smile there, Ed. But <laughs> what I will say, from a playing perspective, as a supporter, there's a lot of knives out for him at the moment. They're saying he's finished and everything. So as a supporter, you kind of want him to. He, he's come back from stuff in the past. He's shown a lot of resilience. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's going to be United's benefit if he... He's obviously going to have something to prove, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think it's wise to start him against City. For the same reason as putting Casemiro in the midfield, to a lesser extent. I mean, if if you had two more extra months of preparation, then I'd say, yeah, sure, play Casemiro. He's, he's got a groove. He's fine to be in there. But Ronaldo's a different kettle of fish. United are going to need speed and economy, and they're going to need both of those things. United can't always guarantee economy, but they need speed more than they need the economy, really. So if they want to stand a chance, because they can create multiple chances with speed, with without speed and just economy, they might only create one or two. And Ronaldo, yeah, if he's not yeah, on yeah. it, then you know it's it's going to be like I said. I think the midfield is key because that's going to be it's, well. It always is against City the way that you set up and. I wonder if he's going to look at the older games, how we, how poorly we played against them last season, how well we did under Ollie. If he's going to look at those composition of midfields and, and the attacks and sort of say, this is where we failed, this is where we've done well, because mm. a good manager would, right? He's had he's had two weeks to prepare, three, four weeks to prepare for it without a league <laughs> game. So yeah, it's it's. I, I still expect that Ireland is going to be too good for us. I just. I really, my, my thinking is less on this game and more on the 59 games that we've got in October. You know, don't let uh, this... I mean, w- it's, it's an absolute shocking number of games. Uh, City, Ammonia Nicosia, Everton, Ammonia again, Newcastle, Spurs, Chelsea, Sheriff, and, West and then, Ham. Yeah. Sociedad. Oh, that's, West Ham is the final game of October. That's incredible. Uh, I was going to say, and then on, on Tuesday, we play. <laughs> that, that's all Sunday and Monday. And then on Tuesday, yeah. it starts again. Yeah. He's, he's, we, we, just before we came on air, we were joking about when there's some seasons where you like to play two games in 24 hours. I mean, there's. I don't think there's any room before the World Cup to get that Leeds game in, let alone mm. the Palace game. Yeah. There's. I think they have to have the seven-day window minimum. Um, before the World Cup starts, that's the 25th, and United playing right up until the 13th of November. So, I mean, in theory, there's a there may be two days there. I just don't see it happening at all. So, realistically, that's it's after. Well, we come back to the Nottingham Forest game on Boxing Day, so it's going to be have to it's going to have to be before Europe starts up again. 
in February. It's going to have to be somewhere in one of those weeks to fit the Leeds game. Might even end up playing Leeds twice in a week. Yeah, it's the same. I, I, yeah, it's just it's really tough. A huge amount of games before the World Cup. Then there's the World Cup where yeah. a whole bunch of the players disappear and then they're going to come back straight back into it. No breaks. Yeah, I think the, the next few weeks, considering the disparity in, in the level of the quality in the squad and how massively confidence affects these players, I w- I'm going to really do a fencing observation here because I don't want to be writing Ten Hag off. But if it goes well, you know, if it goes badly, I'm not going to jump on him because it's a massively pressurised situation and a month for him to deal with. So if it goes, if it does go well for him, I'm going to be the first to like be championing that. I'm going to be blowing the trumpet and saying, look how well he did with that. If it doesn't go well, I'm not going to get on his back too much because he's still, you know, it's a, it's a difficult situation for him. He's going to have to make changes, probably changes he wouldn't want to make normally because of the, the massive turnaround of games. And obviously, as we've seen in the Europa League, it's probably likely to have some kind of negative effect on, on some of the performances. Now, this is where the players, those bit part players, this is a massive, probably a massive four weeks in the career of Ari Maguire, Luke Shaw, all these players who, you know, the the jury's out on them. They've now really got to be able to step up because if they don't step up and we those performances drop, obviously the fingers are going to be pointed at the players more than they are at the manager. And I don't know if there's going to be any coming back for that. For, and I said right at the top of this, we're praising Luke Shaw telling people to get off Harry Maguire's back. So kind of like the doors open, like nobody wants them to, nobody saying wants them to do badly in a United shirt. We all want them to do right. well, but it's a massive period for them because they are going to get the chances. Do you know, this isn't about, about form. If it, if it was 10 Hogs way, you kind of know the team that he'd want to settle with. And if he had one game a week, that team would play all the time. It's not going to happen like that. Those players are going to get the chances that some people might say that they don't deserve, but they're going to have those chances. So they have is, to, yeah. You know what I mean? They've got to step up. And if they don't, then it's an experimental season, isn't it, for United? Not, not that they can afford to, like we were saying earlier on. There's a lot riding on it and the gamble is there, but I don't know. I just, it's, a, it's an interesting one. If you're a supporter for the long term, which I presume every listener of this podcast is, then you'd be looking at it with more of a sort of cautious but optimistic eye and saying, all right, we're giving these players a chance. Not really massively hopeful, but you know, yeah. Luke Luke Shaw in the past, for example, has done really he's, well. Look, he's done well. Look, they've both done well. They're going to be needed against Aston Villa reserves in the FL Cup uh, towards <laughs> <laughs> towards the end of the month. Sorry, I'm being cruel. Uh, United play Aston Villa twice in three days, uh, once in the EFL Cup and once in the league. And let's see if Steven Gerrard is still around for either of those games. Uh, yeah, look, it's going to be a tough game on Sunday, but just got to try and enjoy it for what it is. Maybe, maybe United will surprise us and keep Erling Haaland out. Let's just hope it's not. I like no Erling Haaland hat trick in the first twenty minutes. I'm just going to want to cry into my Sunday morning beer. You know, if that happens, if we're wrapping up, Ed, I'm going to end it on a yeah. positive note. United's best results in the derby in the in the post Ferguson years have been when expectations have been at the lowest. Remember yeah, very true. Yeah. Going going there when they were expecting to win the title and they were two 0 up and they were all like celebrating it at half time and then the most unlikely of comebacks inspired by the two most unlikely of players in Pogba and Sanchez. So 
Maybe Ronaldo will come off the bench and score a hat trick or something like that. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be magical. <laughs> right, folks. I guess that's it for this week. Thank you, Wayne. We'll be, I guess we'll be back at the weekend to the review. City nil, United 2. Something uh, like that. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Have a good one, everyone.